stands. They arrive, they watch, they cheer, they leave, and they wait till next week. Followers, they practice every day. They learn, they take the hits, they sacrifice. This world is full of fans. Will you be more? Do you have what it takes to follow, to step onto the field? Let's do this. Well, hey, Heritage, welcome to the final week of Fan to Follower, a journey where we've been leveraging the sport of football to help us understand how we can live as true followers of Jesus and not simply fans. But I got to start out by reading to you a press release that I came across recently out of East Lansing, Michigan. So let me just read the headline to you. It says, Michigan State football practice for Michigan State-Ohio State game delayed. Michigan State football practice was delayed nearly two hours after a player reported finding an unknown powdery white substance on the practice field. Head coach Mark D'Antonio immediately suspended practice while police and federal agencies were called to investigate. After a complete analysis by both the FBI and local forensic experts, it was determined the powdery white substance, unknown to the Michigan State players, was the goal line. <laughs> Practice was resumed after special agents decided the team was unlikely to encounter the substance again, especially in the upcoming Ohio State game. All right, there you go. Put a little salve on my Ohio State supporter friends who they have been injured in the previous joke about Ohio State. But let me say, listen, if you're a guest here, I'm glad you're here. I love that you're here. We like to have fun because we believe there's no greater adventure than to follow Jesus. And this weekend is just packed full of good stuff as we're together. We're worshiping in song. We're going to study God's word. We're going to witness believer baptism and partake in communion. This is a huge celebration moment for us as we wrap up our fan to follower series. And I'm glad you're here. But listen, I realize that many of us are not going to reach the spiritual goal line we're striving for because right now we're living more as fans than followers. We're living as fans in the stands and not players on the field. And if you find yourself in that space today, someone who's arriving and cheering and leaving and not someone who's engaged on the field, following Jesus with everything you have, I want you to know it's not too late to change. See, God is looking for people who have the courage to be bold enough to follow him. And there's a number of realities about what it means to be a follower, and if you've missed that in our journey, you can go to heritageqc.com online, and you can click the media tab and, and see the different aspects that we talked about through the course of our journey. But I want to revisit one key principle that has been central to our process in Fan to Follower. And it goes back to an issue of priorities, where, where fans are more focused on themselves, and, and followers actually live for something much bigger. We I mean, think about it this way, that, that most people seek to protect themselves first, then others, and then the team, or kingdom in the sense of spiritual things, or the things of Jesus. Most people live in that order, one, two, three. But a follower of Jesus actually is to live the exact opposite order, three, two, one. Kingdom first, others second, and then ourselves last. That's the priority order. And, and anytime we live by other, any other order sequence, we're changing more than we realize. 
We're actually messing with our identity more than just what we do. And we can't expect God to show up and do great things in our life when we're living by some other set of priorities. The, three, two, one is his priority order. Jesus affirmed this in, in Matthew 6, verse 33. Here's what he said. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. That's three first. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. That's living three, two, one as a follower not a fan. And, and the favor of God, the, the power of God, the blessing of God should not be expected in a life that's not living according to his priorities. We can't expect him to show up and do great things when we don't seek first his kingdom. And to seek first his kingdom, to, to live three, two, one, requires more than words. It requires action. And if you're following along in a sermon note guide, you've got one of these, which actually gets us to our first fill-in, which is actions reveal priorities. Actions reveal priorities. Actions reveal what? Priorities. Man, look, listen, it's not just words and belief. Uh, those kind of only give us indications of like desire and intent. It's actually actions that reveal priorities. And we may want to live three, two, one. We may want to seek first the kingdom of God, but it is revealed in what we do. It's in our actions. When we surrender and we submit to the authority of God in our life, then we have the kind of relationship we're really longing for. That's when we get to the spiritual goal line. And we experience all that he has for us as we live 3-2-1, seeking kingdom first. So let's get to it right away. I'd, I'd love for you, if you've got a Bible, to grab it and turn with me or click with me to Mark chapter 10, the second book of the New Testament. It's going to be on the screen. It's also in your guide, but I want to get into the Word of God because one of the things I love about the Bible is it gives us a chance to listen in on conversations that are incredibly helpful for us to know how we're supposed to live. And we're looking at an interaction where Jesus was speaking with a man who, who thought he was good to go as a follower, but he was really living more like a fan. So let's take a look at this. This is Mark chapter 10. We're starting in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, look, he's off to a great start. To look to Jesus for answers, to, to approach Jesus and humbly on our knees cry out to him for help, that's a beautiful, proper way to start. The thing is, I'm not sure he's asking the right question here. But here's what Jesus does. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now, again, he's not challenging the man. He's actually trying to assist the man. He's positioning the guy to make a profession of faith and saying who Jesus really is because that was the key to what he really needed. But Jesus continues on this way. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. I mean, he's just giving a list of rules right here. But then the guy says, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, there's a lot of good stuff just in this particular passage, some good things to pull out, but one of the things that's very clear is this guy was devout, man. He was committed. He was faithful in following the rules of the Jewish faith. But he felt like something was missing. He felt like something was off. He was, he was trying to figure out how to get to the spiritual goal line. 
And maybe you have felt that way before in your relationship with God. Maybe you've tried to connect with Him, relate to Him, journey with Him, have that relationship with Him, but you felt like something's missing, something's off. You've struggled to find the spiritual goal line. I, I have had points in my life where I have felt that way. And this guy, he's right there right now in the same boat. But he knows enough to say, I'm going to go to Jesus and I'm looking for answers from him. So he's got a good start. And he actually goes to Jesus. But it's interesting to me that Jesus responds by identifying rules that the guys are already following. It may seem a little bit odd that he would do that. But Jesus was trying to position this guy to see more than what he was actually looking for. He was trying to move him from, from not just having knowledge, but to having understanding. From not just having a belief, but having faith. And as this guy approaches Jesus, he's asking the question, what must I do? What do I need to do? But what we're going to see is that what he really lacked had more to do with his being than his doing. And so let's take a look at exactly how Jesus responds to that. But first, I want to revisit something that we looked at last week. You see, in order for someone to be a true follower of Jesus, it requires placing authority in the right hands. And so last week, we took some time to say, look, who we are and what we do can be defined by a couple of different people or places. We can say, I am going to define who I am and what I do. We can let others do that. We can give that to authority or to other power structures like government, or we can say, okay, God, you can decide who I am and what I do. Any one of those can be possible. The issue or the heart of the matter comes to the issue of authority. It's where we place authority. Because God, as creator God, has a purpose and plan for us. He has made you, uniquely you, to, to be in relationship with him and part of that greater purpose he has for you. And when we place authority with him, and he imparts that authority to Jesus, and there's authority in scripture, then we, under that authority, who we are and what we do, is defined by him and his authority, and therefore we live in a posture of submission. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And when we live this way, then we're able to relate to others and relate to even things like government in a way that pleases him as we live under his authority. The, the difficulty comes is when we take authority and we start to move it around. <laughs> when we give it to others or government in a way it shouldn't have it, or we say, you know what, I'm going to give myself authority. I'm going to determine who I am and what I do. When we do that, we're asking God to submit to us. And it is always problematic to place authority in the wrong hands because every time we move authority, we mess with our identity and our purpose, who we are and what we do. So in this dynamic, we're called to, under the authority of God, to live in a posture where we, we love and we speak truth, that it's the truth in love. And, and that really is the journey of what we can call holiness. This is where we become more and more like Jesus. And that ability to, to do that, to live in the tension of truth and love and to be more like Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit that positions us to do that. And this is what a follower should be living by when it comes to the position of authority and who has authority, who's determining who we are and what we do. The problem is we often struggle with authority. We struggle to submit to authority. But listen, the authority of God is a gift from God. If you're still tracking in your sermon note guide, that's your next fill-in. The authority of God is a gift from God. He's creator. And so we will never be complete outside of relationship with him. Something will always be missing, missing in our life. His leadership in our lives is essential to living life to the full. 
Plus, here's the cool thing. He takes that a step further. His authority is a gift to us. It provides the context for how we live, but then he imparts that authority to Jesus, and Jesus imparts that authority to us. And we get to live empowered as followers of Jesus in this world, partnered with him through Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. He imparts his authority to us through Christ. And that's how we get to the spiritual goal line. His power, his authority, our whole life in his hands. His authority is a gift to us. But I think too often we look at his authority as a a source or means of control rather than what it really is, an expression of love. It's an expression of love. Because often what we do when we think of God, we just think of the things he prohibits. Don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. And when all we think of God is what he prohibits, then then we just think of him as that authority that says no. And we miss out on the reality that he does more than prohibit. He, He does limit, but it's out of love. He gives great permission and freedom. And he gives even greater purpose. But too often we narrow who God is to what he just prohibits. And we don't see his authority as a gift. And then it leads to other issues of our identity and what we do because we struggle to submit to the authority. See, look, Jesus, Jesus didn't just come to help us follow rules. He, he didn't just come so that we would stop being bad. He came so we would live. We looked at this earlier in our journey, that he just didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live, to be able to reach the spiritual goal line. So with that understanding, let's step back into the interaction that Jesus had with the rich young man because Jesus is about to tell the guy what he's missing, the one thing he still lacks. So here's what he said. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now i got to tell you, this is my favorite sentence in the whole chapter. That Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And the reality is that Jesus looks at you right now, wherever you're at, however many times you've moved authority, No matter what you have done, he looks at you right now today and he loves you. And in this moment here, he looks at this guy and he loves him. He says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now the words of Jesus to this man are not a universal command to go sell everything. Some people want to take that and say everybody should go sell everything. That's not what this is. This was a specific instruction to this man because his identity was overshadowed by his stuff. And he needed to make a clean break and make Jesus priority. In fact, the heart of the matter was an issue of priorities. The man needed to follow Jesus before everything else Because that's where he would experience life to the full. And in one sense, Jesus is saying to this guy, he's saying, look, you're a fan because you're defining yourself, your identity, by what you possess, what you've acquired, what you've attained. And all you really need to do is let all that stuff go and follow me. Follow me and let me define who you are. Just follow and there's a very simple reality in the fan to follower shift that we, that we have to understand, that the favor of God comes with following God. If we don't follow him, we can't expect his favor to be upon us. If we don't submit to his priorities, we can't expect him to work in our lives the way he wants to. With the favor of God comes with following God. And that when we follow him, he defines who we are and what we do. It's not in what we have and what we know. It's not when we live one, two, three. 
It doesn't come when we follow ourselves. Yet many of us try. But, but Jesus wants us to follow him. And followers of Jesus make him the priority above everything else. Fans don't do that. So here's what happens. After Jesus says, go and sell your stuff, this is what happens next in verse 22. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Was this guy living more as a fan or a follower? Fan. He was living more as a fan. But listen, this is not just about following rules because we can follow rules and we can believe and we can still be out of step with God. This guy was doing exactly that. His his deal was that there was a limit to the authority that he would allow Jesus to have in his life. The limit to the amount of authority he was willing to give. The problem wasn't rules. He had done really well with rules since he was a boy. It wasn't an issue with rules. It was an issue with priorities. He was willing to follow rules. He just wasn't willing to follow Jesus. But that's where the favor of God comes. When we follow Jesus. His issue wasn't with rules. And the truth is, we're not really against rules either as a people. We're not against rules. We know rules provide structure. They, they, they keep chaos out. Rules have value and they're good. We're not against rules. We just want to be the ruler. We just want to be the guy who's making the rules, the rule maker. This is one of the reasons why we will yell at refs during a football game, Right? Okay, come on, confession time. Bettendorf 2, get on this. How many people have ever yelled at a ref at a football game? All right, get him up there. Yeah, okay, we do that. Look, that, that is part of what this deal is. We don't mind rules. We just want to be the person who determines what those rules are and how they're applied. We want to be the rule maker. And that, again, is an issue of authority. How many of you have ever heard of the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes? Okay, great comic strip. We're like 30 years ago, from 1985 to 1995, Bill Watterson had this beautifully, wonderfully designed comic strip telling a story about Calvin, the boy Calvin, and his stuffed tiger Hobbs. And they did all kinds of things, lots of adventures, his parents were involved, just hilarious kid. But listen, one of the things that Calvin and Hobbs did repeatedly was they played a game called Calvin Ball. And Calvin Ball was a simple game where you just make up the rules as you go. And you just keep making up rules. And you keep making up rules. And you just continue. And really, the only thing you can't do is repeat a rule. In fact, here's a, an example of what, what happened in one of their moments. The only permanent rule in Calvin Ball is that you can't play it the same way twice. And then Hobbes says, the score is still Q to 12. That's Calvin Ball. I mean, it's fun as a kid when you're playing with your stuffed tiger, but it doesn't work in life. The idea of every time we can just make up a rule or change a rule and move the rule and move the rule... It works when you play as a kid, but it doesn't work in life. Because every time we change the rule, we move authority. And every time we move authority, we mess with our identity and our purpose. Let me just take this one step further. All of us uh, here today, we have a life. And so we are living in the context of life. We are living that life also in the context of rules. So we have life and we have rules. 
This in some, in some way, this is what we do, and, and this is who we are. So in the continuum of life, and the realities of life, and the reality of rules, the question is, whose rules are we following, and whose life is it? We could say that we're living by our rules, or, or my rules, or we can say we're living by God's rules, His rules, His life. So it's my rules, it's his rules, it's his life, it's my life. And what this does is it forms a grid for us to really understand how we are living as a fan or as a follower, understanding what we do and who we are. Is it his life or my life? Is it my rules or his rules? And the reality is that as we go through life, everybody starts here. When we are born, we're born into sin, we're, we are sinful, it is about us, it is my rules, my life. Every infant will tell you that, okay? That, that's the reality. But over time, as we grow, as we live, and out of, by the grace of God, we begin to experience through people, through His Holy Spirit, through creation, through His Word, we begin to understand, you know what, there's more to life than just me, and there's more to how we live in that life than just what I think. And by the grace of God, we get to the point where we make a decision to follow Jesus, and then from there... We move on this journey where he increasingly has rule and reign, where it's his life and his rules until he is truly Lord. That is the journey of a follower. That we get to the point that we no longer live, but he lives in us. We die to self. The challenge with this understanding or this dynamic is that, that many of us will peel off along that journey and we'll actually enter into these two quadrants and create a hybrid. I'm not talking about a green, eco-friendly hybrid. I'm talking about when you take two different breeds of dogs and you breed them, and that should have never happened. A hybrid. And I'm talking like the mystical hybrids of a centaur, a minotaur, or, or even perhaps a jackalope. You familiar with a jackalope? Here's a picture of a jackalope. A jackalope is a rabbit with antlers. Okay, there it is. That's what it is. That's a jackalope. But listen, jackalopes don't exist. They don't exist. They're mythical. Listen, they, by the wonders and miracles of taxidermy, you can actually buy a rabbit with antlers mounted so you can hang it on your wall. That's a jackalope. Okay? But they are not real creatures. They are hybrids. They should never have existed. They do not exist. But the reality is, when we veer off into these two quadrants, we're creating a hybrid that should never exist. We're creating hybrids where we say, look, you can have my life, but it's my rules. And so we believe, but we don't behave. And in this context, in that quadrant, we live as a fan. Where we are marked by great intensity, maybe even spiritual intensity, but we are marred by independence. We're doing it our way. And this is the place where we will worship on a weekend gathering, but the rest of the week we live how we want to live by our rules. And so Friday looks very different than when we gather as the church on the weekend. We give $10, but we won't give 10%, which is the tithe that God asks for. This is a place that is spiritual, but it's, it's really... It's really one that Mark looks more like a Pharisee would if you're familiar with who they are in the New Testament. Now, when we drop down in here, this is another place that we live as a fan. But this is more, this is kind of even religious in the sense that this is where we struggle with legalism. This is where we behave, but we really don't believe. Our identity is not defined by him. We define our identity, but we try to live into rules we can't actually live into. So we struggle with worth, and we struggle with shame, and we struggle in legalism. And so we 
we really ultimately behave or we don't believe. And this is where I think, based on what I know of the rich young man, this is where I think he was residing. Trying to find all the rules, trying to find the next rule to make sure he could feel clear about his identity because he was basing his identity in the wrong thing. And anytime we veer off into one of these two quadrants, we are moving authority. He should have complete authority. I, I, I wonder where you're at in this. I realize that some here today are here. You're spiritually unresolved. You've never given Jesus authority in your life. You're living by your rules and it is your life, and so you're determining who you are and what you do. And so the opportunity before you today is to surrender to Jesus, to find forgiveness for sin, to receive the gift of eternal life, and begin to walk with God. You could do that today. There's some details and instructions and even example prayer on the back of your sermon note guide to know how to begin that journey. And I encourage you to consider doing it. But then I also realize that, that for some of you here today, you have peeled off and you're living in a jackalope faith. It's a hybrid that never should have existed. You're someone who is, who is believing but not behaving. You're behaving but not believing. Let's put this in just a really simple context. If you are someone who professed faith in Jesus Christ at some point in your life, but you have not been baptized because you don't think it's important, you're living here. If you're someone who has professed faith in Jesus as your Lord and you have not been baptized because you think you are not worthy, you're living here. And you need to have a very honest conversation with the Lord today, right now, to get back on track where his life and his rules have dominance and you live as a follower and not simply a fan. You know, when, when we say we follow Jesus, then he gets to determine the rules and he gets to determine who we are in our identity. It's really easy to veer off. And every time we veer off, we're actually trying to take spiritual things and, and make up for the dysfunctions of the physical realities we're in. But we can't adjust priorities and we can't move the rules and we can't hold on to authority if we ever expect God to work and move in our life. And we, and we don't have an issue with rules. We have an issue with wanting to be the ruler. But Jesus says, look, come follow me. Live by my rules. Live by my priorities. Let me determine who you are. But I wonder, I wonder whose priorities you're living by today. I, I wonder who has authority in your life, who's determining who you are and what you do. Is, is it Jesus? Is it you? Or is it some hybrid jackalope faith? One of the problems of the jackalope faith is that when Christians live that way, the world looks at that and wants nothing to do with it. We actually lose our moral authority to address things in this life on behalf of Christ. And until we come back into alignment, until we get back on following his rules and living under his authority as his life, we won't have a clear message for the world. But all it takes is coming back under that authority and living where he defines who we are and what we do. 
So let's just go back to where the rich young man was in this conversation with Jesus. Jesus said to him, look, there's just one thing you lack. You got to go sell everything, give it away, and, and then you come follow me. And I think there's three things that help us understand how we can live as a follower, not a fan here. The first is simply this, that following is all or nothing. It's, it's all or nothing. The rich young man is trying to live a jackalope faith. One where he was trying to follow rules, but his identity was being determined by his stuff, what he'd accomplished, what he earned. And if we're not all in, we're a fan. We can't pick and choose the areas of surrender. That's a jackalope faith. We have to trust him with everything. And trust isn't about faith as much as it is about surrender. Yet the rich young man didn't want to fully surrender, mainly because of the cost, which is the second thing, that following always comes at a cost. The first thing is that it's all or nothing. When Jesus says, look, everything, go sell everything, not just some things, everything. But then there's a cost to it where he says, give it away. You got to give it away. And too many people never experience life fully because they fear letting go. They fear giving Jesus authority. But following requires trust. And trust requires risk. And there's always a cost to follow Jesus because he leads us places we don't want to go. He leads us places where we need to live, three, two, one, where we come last. It's that holiness journey that he invites us into where we die to self and we live three, two, one. There's always a cost. So if you're ready to say, I'm a follower, I want to be a follower, not a fan, I'm all in, then don't seek to eliminate and avoid discomfort, but rather seek to advance his kingdom. Seek to advance the ball down the field. If football players tried to avoid discomfort while trying to score in football, the ball would never make it down the field. They have to push, they have to advance, they have to tackle, they have to drive into the defensive line. When we try to avoid discomfort, we're out of step with advancing the kingdom. Because ultimately, following is about his significance and not ours. Because after Jesus says everything, he says to him, follow me. Following is about his significance, it's his authority, it's his purpose, it's his rules, it's his lordship. But it's only in surrender that we truly live as followers. It's where all of our shame and fear and habits and addictions are removed by his Holy Spirit, the power of his Holy Spirit as we live as a follower under his authority, his life, and his rules. And that's where we reach the spiritual goal line. Rather, rather than getting lost in some kind of real-life version of Calvin Ball. You know, that jackalope faith thing is not something Jesus is all that keen on. In fact, the Lord has some very specific words in Amos about that. I just want to read it to you in the context of this diagram. The Lord says, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious, religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice and an endless river of righteous living. That justice piece is what we do. And the righteousness piece is who we are. And he says he wants to see a mighty flood of justice and righteousness. Who you are and what you do dominated by my authority over your life and my rules in your life. Following Jesus is a good, right thing. But it's not safe. Jesus doesn't lead us to safe and comfortable, no matter what TV evangelists may tell you. He leads us to places of significance under his authority, his rules, his life. And today, 
you have an opportunity to say, I'm done being a fan, or I'm done not even being a fan, and to take a step into relationship with Jesus and walk and live as a follower. Not a hybrid jackalope faith, but all in and committed. And so if, if you're someone who has chosen to follow Jesus, but you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you right now to move to the back of the room, even as I get ready to pray or as I pray, and say, look, Lord, I'm, I'm done trying to live a jackalope hybrid faith where I'm one thing in public, but I'm something else in private, where I'm not actually letting your life, <laughs> the definition of my identity and your rules define me. I'm trying to split it. I'm trying to make it this jackalope thing and say, I'm done. I'm going to be an all-in follower for you under your authority by your rules. Today's the day to say, I'm done. If you've never taken that step spiritually, today's the day to say, I'm all in. To pray that prayer and step into relationship with him. And in a moment, we're also going to do a participate in communion, which is another expression of saying, you are Lord, you have rule and reign in my life, and I follow you. So here's the invitation. It's really kind of an opportunity to do what's described in Hebrews for all of us. This is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Listen, when we move from fan to follower and we cast off everything that hinders us and we quit peeling off into the jackalope quadrants, then we encounter God. And he changes us. And we hear him. He speaks to us. He leads us. He begins to align our heart to his. And nothing in our life is wasted. But it means that we actually step into the posture of saying, it is your life and your rules, Lord, that I now follow. And wherever you're at in the journey, the opportunity is to take the next step. To say, I'm going to follow your priorities, Lord. I'm not going to split it. And I'm not going to avoid it. But because you are creator God, I give you all authority. And my life is yours. And I live by your rules. But he will never make you do that. It requires us to decide. And today is your opportunity to decide. And to get back on track. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be your people. To know you and to love you. I thank you that you have all authority and that you give that authority to Jesus and you want to give that authority to us as we live as followers. But forgive us when we've moved that authority around and we've messed with our identity and our purpose. Father, I pray that you would help us in these moments as we step back into worship, as we look towards witnessing baptism, as we take part in communion. I pray that you'd talk to us about maybe where we've developed a jackalope faith, where we've been living marked by shame because we are, we are behaving but not believing. Or, or perhaps maybe living up in a place of pride where, where we believe but don't behave. So, Father, in these next few moments, tell us where our next step is. Don't let us leave from here the way we came in. And, and for my friends here that are not spiritually resolved, that have not taken that step with you today, I pray that they would do it even now. And those that need to step in obedience into the waters of baptism, I pray they do it now. Because, Lord, I know delayed obedience is disobedience. So may today, may we all step forward as people saying, I want to follow as a follower and not as a fan. Because you are king and you are Lord and you have all authority. So Lord, I, I invite you to speak in this time and space. And I, I know you will, but I pray in the name of Jesus that it would bring great glory to you as we hear and respond.
we find your favor as we follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.